0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of How to Be a Great GM podcast, uh, musings of a GM. Now, I apologize if the background audio is a little bit loud. Um, It's just that I've got all the windows open because it's a nice sunny day and I thought, well, why not be comfortable? And if you hear the passing of a British train in the background, well, so be it. Now, last week, we were looking at our poor orcs who had no concept of what writing could possibly be and how they could possibly use it. And we spoke about the Rosetta Stone, which had the three different languages engraved upon it, one of which was hieroglyphics, allowing scholars to translate hieroglyphics into a usable language to a certain degree. There's still some uncertainties into some of the actual symbols and their representation, but it's not huge. It is, uh, it's, it's usable, let's put it that way. So what does this all mean for us? Well, we've seen certain insights when we come to look at why this knowledge, why should this have any effect on you as a game designer, as a GM, as a dungeon master, as a storyteller? Well, quite frankly, when you look at all of this, it allows you to step back and to say what if with a lot more confidence, I think, anyway, than someone who doesn't know necessarily what this, this information means. Now, before we get to the ramifications of that in terms of our story design, there is something else that we need to look at first before we go any further. Because, arguably, once we get to the point where writing is uh, a fairly um, common practice and people start to get access to that writing in whatever shape or form you might get, we suddenly start to get the um, large Egyptian empires, the Hittite empires, Babylonian empires, and so on. And then eventually we move on to Rome, which I think, is the pinnacle of human evolution and human um, scientific development as far as they could go, and they actually suffered from achieving a level of comfort which actually prevented them from developing further we will talk about that in a little bit. Um, It's very interesting. um, The fact that Rome collapsed, the fact that Rome didn't really change after a certain amount of time uh, from a technology perspective, there's reasons for it. It wasn't just an accident. It wasn't that the Romans were lazy. So we're going to get there in in a couple of podcasts. And if I don't, remind me to come back to talk about why the Romans uh, did not invent flying machines, even though they could have. So it's an interesting story. What we need to look at today, though, is we need to look at what happens to societies when they collapse. And they collapse oftentimes because they don't have writing. That's one of the reasons. But the primary reason is that the society gets too big for the territory that it can support. And there's some very, very terrifying examples that we can turn to basically in our own history, I should say, anyway. And these, of course, we can apply to our games. So I want us first to turn our attention to a wonderful place known as Easter Island. Now, Easter Island was discovered, I should say, by Captain Cook. I believe it was Captain Cook. I stand to be corrected, but I think it was Captain Cook who discovered uh, Easter Island. And when he arrived on Easter Island, he discovered all of these amazing buried heads of titanic proportions, really, really titanic proportions. And he discovered a starving community of individuals who had turned to cannibalism. Why had they turned to cannibalism? What had happened to this society that took it from being a very healthy, functioning society that um, used to live off the abundant seafood and uh, the the sea uh, creatures around their island? What took them from that, where they were able to create these gigantic stone statues and reduce them to living off of pigs and each other, and not accessing the seafood that was right next to them and that hadn't disappeared for any specific reason. What happened? Why did this take place? Well, there's an interesting book that I'm going to be referencing from um, in the next few podcasts that we're going to be talking about, which is uh, called Collapse, and that was also written by Jared Diamond, I believe. Collapse looks at why societies quite literally collapse, what causes them to fall over. And what causes them to eventually terminate? And principally, the outcome of that collapse. What happens when those, those systems just fall over and die? Well, when we go back to Easter Island, we look at Easter Island from a whole lot of different perspectives. And the scientists went in and they analyzed the rubbish tips of the Easter Islanders. And the very early Easter Islanders who arrived there from a migration from, I believe, further north, the very first Easter Islanders who arrived had vast amounts of seafood in their diet and very little of anything else. As a matter of fact, they didn't have a lot of pig or chicken um, or anything of that sort of thing, it was mainly seafood. Now bearing in mind these were seafarers who arrived on Easter Island, it's fairly isolated, so they had to be a seafaring folk to be able to get to that island in the first place. But as they examined more and more of the rubbish dumps of the Easter Islanders, they discovered less and less seafood and more and more pork. And then suddenly they started to discover human remains that had been feasted upon, cooked at 180 degrees or a gas six uh, for about three and a half hours to make the meat nice and tender. Now... Of course, this is awfully macabre, and it, it must have been the most horrific experience. So I, I make light of it simply because I think it's just so tragic and so dark. So what happened? Why did they go from, not have, uh, from having seafood to not having seafood? Because as far as Cook was concerned, the wildlife, in the terms of the um, sea life, was abundant when he arrived. It was, just, it was literally just there in the ocean, just floating around, waiting to be caught. What happened? Well, from what can be best put forward, as far as my understanding and research, uh, the armchair research, of course, I haven't had the luxury of going to Easter Island, but uh, from what the experts tell us is that the Easter Islanders started to develop these little tribes of seafaring folk. And each tribe wanted to prove how successful and powerful they were, and that started to take the form of those carved skulls, those, those giant heads that Easter Island is so famous for. One thing led to another, and by the time you start building a giant head that you can't carry or several people can't carry, you need to figure out a transportation system to get them from point A to point B. Well, when you're living on an island, the easiest form of transportation would be to use trees to make rollers and then you roll the Easter Island head into place, and you lo- you use lots of wooden scaffolding to leverage it up and get it locked into place. This isn't a new technology. It was proposed for the Egyptian movement of the stones for the pyramids. It was proposed for the movement of the stones for Stonehenge, and if you have ever been on a survival camp uh, or a youth development program where you spend a couple days out in the bush, you end up, yes, lining up roll uh, logs so that you can roll something heavy across the top of them. It really does help if the logs don't have lots of branches sticking out because they don't roll so well. Uh, At least that's my experience. So, the East Islanders started carving bigger and bigger heads. We know this because the older heads are smaller as opposed to the later heads, which were just getting bigger and bigger. And there's a Titanic head which was in production but was abandoned. And um, so they're busy making these heads. They're rolling them all over the island and they're trying to set them up and say, Look, we have the biggest head um, on the island. You must uh, serve us and so on. And um, they were busy chopping down their trees to do that. Now... When you are on an island, you have a finite number of resources. And so you go, haha, is anyone practicing forestry? Are we actually looking after the forests that we are busy hacking down with madness in in terms of volume? No, they weren't. And so what happens is East Island goes from having forests to suddenly having scrubland as it does today. You go, okay, well, so we don't get any shade. So what? And the birds now have to move from being um, airborne. They now move to the ground. So it's easier to catch them. So that's a big win. Yes, it is. It's a big win. Until you realize that your housing is built out of wood. Okay, well, we can weave thatch together. Worked for the uh, Zulu people. So we can make thatched cottages. Yes, yes, you can. You can do that too. That's absolutely true. Um, We don't need spears. Because we fight with our heads now, and whoever has the biggest head wins. We know that very much. Okay, good, so we don't need weapons. All right, that's that's fine. Um, but it also means, my lord, that we cannot actually make any of our uh, seafaring canoes. Well, that's okay. We don't need seafaring canoes. We can live off of our pigs, which we have now got somehow from a trade with various peoples who came past the island a couple of years ago. So we'll live off pigs. We don't need to live off uh, dolphins and 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 you know very meaty and very good for you kind of of seafood. Yes, all right. Fine. And we can we can we can fish from the beach. Yes, okay. Good. That makes sense. Fast forward a decade or ten, and suddenly the beaches are no longer as full of fish as they once were. And the fish have all kind of gone, well, hang on a moment. If we just go out into slightly deeper water, they can't get to us because they ain't got no trees. Look at them. They're living in grass huts. And grass certainly doesn't float for very long. So we're actually okay. And that's not entirely true because the Egyptians proved that you can use papyrus to make boats out of and float quite happily up and down in the Nile. But apparently the people of Easter Island didn't have the nice kind of of Reeds. They only had the little grasses, I suppose. Nonetheless, what happened was the people of Easter Island quite literally cut down their only actual source of food, which was the trees. And so they couldn't actually get out into the oceans to hunt larger fish and so and, and, and things like that. And as a result, they started to run out of food and eventually they ran out of pigs. And so you then turn to eating each other, as horrid as that may sound. And then all of those giant heads that were constructed have absolutely no meaning. Because if you've got the giant head on the island, it's like, look, they've got big heads. That means they've got lots of meat on them, their bones. So let's go off and find out what's going on there. Now, we've seen this happen... Uh, cannibalism is not just as a result of your society collapsing. Cannibalism is sometimes also a taste or a flavor or a spiritual endeavor. We certainly know that to be true. Papua New Guinea for example, in the 1960s the Australian government had to ban cannibalism because they felt that it wasn't a good idea to do that. And uh, you look at cannibalism and you go well, you know, the the 1960s, that seems very strange. Well, no, because you had people who had been isolated from Western sensibilities of not eating one another, uh, at least uh, on a regular basis anyway. We do still get a few people who develop a taste um, for uh, man flesh. Um, But Papua New Guinea, it was a war system. It was a system of gaining the spirit and the strength of the opposition. It was quite quite uh, much a, a territorial thing as well. You jump over to the Amazon jungle and you had a tribe of individuals who To this very day, as long as they can get away with it, will consume the bodies of their dead, not killing them, waiting for them to die first, and then they consume the body of the dead so that the dead becomes part of them and never actually truly dies. That's great. Let's chow down on grandma. Again, I make derisive comments, but that's only because I think it's fascinating to look into this stuff, add it to our knowledge, and suddenly we have wood elves who consume the dead. It's a very interesting ritual. We didn't make it up. It literally happens on planet Earth. So the Easter Islanders were individuals who quite literally cut down their only means of making food. What happens when that isn't the case, though? What happens to other cultures who are aware that they're chopping down all of the forests? Well, now we just need to flit over to uh, Japan and uh, jump in during the... um The shogunate period, uh, which is quite an extensive period of a thousand years or so, and the Japanese have some very interesting ideas when it comes to building structures. They love to build their structures out of wood. It makes a lot of sense, and uh, it's relatively available and is all over the country. So why not? They also have a few religions, some of their uh, shrines, which have a rather bizarre um, habit of being destroyed every 20 years and rebuilt from scratch. Now, if you've ever been to Japan, when I'm talking about a shrine, I'm not talking about a little cute three-foot-by-six-foot type of shrine on the side of the road. I'm talking about a 300-foot-by-300-foot-by-seven-or-eight-story-high magnificent edifice that uses literally hundreds of thousands of tons of wood to be designed and executed and then ripped down every 20 years and rebuilt, simply as a part of a renewal ceremony within the religious um, dogma of that particular country. So what was happening was, quite literally, Japan was running out of wood until the uh, shogun said, that's it, that is it. Wood chopping is now going to be an official function, and we are going to make forestry reserves that are quite literally off-limits to the general building population. We will not run out of wood. And as a result, Japan managed to stabilize their forestry industry. They didn't uh, destroy all of their wood uh, supplies, and they managed to manage that. But that took foresight and leadership from a centralized government. And you go, well, East Islanders didn't have a centralized government, so there was no commission getting together talking about the deforestation of their island. They were all frantically trying to build bigger heads. So does that mean that a centralized government is what you need in order to avoid catastrophe? Not at all. We run across over to South America, and we go and have a look at what was happening uh, to the Aztecs. The Aztecs had a whole lot of things going wrong for them, unfortunately. Uh, it just seems part and parcel of their uh, um, sort of existence, the Mayans as well. And we have these large cities that were formed in the middle of the Amazon jungle, and you go, ha ha, well, they'll never run out of wood. Well, not yet. Brazil's trying to prove a point that they can run out of wood this, this century, but that's okay. Okay. Uh, Um, When this particular civilization was uh, in in full bloom, we're talking about 500 AD or so, there was a massive, massive city. And we look to those cities, these ruins today, and we go, oh, look at those cities, they're absolutely stunning. Those cities eventually turned to a form of cannibalism because they did run out of resources. What they did was they ran out of transportation speed. It's an unfortunate fact that the wheel, which was in existence in Southern America, uh, uh, South America, I should say, during all of this time period, was never really applied to mass transport. Not having uh, animals that are suitable for um, domestication in this front was a factor, but also not thinking about the wheel in terms of transportation was another one. What happened was the cities um, grew to such large sizes that the hunters and the gatherers and the farmers who would be around simply couldn't... ...couldn't ship enough food into the city fast enough to feed the populations. The populations got so big they literally collapsed. And although they didn't necessarily turn to cannibalism... ...the priests turned to hacking out the hearts of almost everyone they could find... Not necessarily consciously reducing the population, but, well, if you sacrifice a thousand people a day for ten days, you suddenly have much less mouths to feed, and so it seems as if the famine may in actual fact be coming to an end. No, it's not. It's just that you have less people to feed. Now, does that mean that whenever you run out of food, your empire is going to collapse? No, not at all. The Romans were a classic example. Their grain came from Egypt, and they used to have these massive grain ships sailing across the Mediterranean, bringing fresh grain to Rome on a regular basis. Egypt was the breadbasket for this entire thing, and kept the Roman Empire going. Now, whenever Egypt failed to make a grain supply, the grain ships were either sunk at sea, or perhaps taken by pirates in very rare instances. But mainly sunk at sea, was the biggest risk of these uh, grain ships not getting to Rome, there would be public riots, there would be murders, there would be killing, there would be all sorts of things going on. And quite, quite literally, if Rome had run out of its grain supply, the people would have turned to cannibalism. It is what we do as a people, unfortunately. Now, of course, we know from smaller incidents, people who have been marooned on boats or who get lost in the mountains, cannibalism is a thing. Interestingly enough, there is a rule in British maritime um, law that states that if you are survivors from a sunken ship and you are in a situation where you are all going to die if you don't uh, eat one another, there are extenuating circumstances that prevent you from being prosecuted for murder uh, because you have eaten a member of your crew. It's considered to be a last act and you will have such regret and remorse uh, from your act that um, you, um, well, let's just say you you shouldn't, you you won't want to be prosecuted, or at least the prosecution wouldn't do anything for you. Okay, I've been rambling along. Cannibalism is a a fascinating thing. I would hate to eat somebody else. I don't think I could actually do it unless it was, you know, in a polystyrene container or a a recyclable paper container with recyclable plastic over the top of it and it was labelled as You know, um, something that I didn't recognize and it sort of, I, 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 I don't know. I don't think I could eat another human being voluntarily. I do think if I was starving and someone else hacked off a chunk of meat, roasted it over the fire and handed me this charcoal brown lump, I would probably eat it. Uh, It's a tough decision, and the only answer that you can actually give is, well, you don't know until you're in that situation. Now, there's an interesting film just before I wrap up today's episode if you are interested in the rumors and legends that go on, because obviously you have things like vampires who feast upon the blood of others and Wendigo from Northern America, which are pretty much the same thing as vampires. Um, There's a film called Ravenous with Guy Pearce uh, in the lead role. And um, it's a wonderful film that explores cannibalism and the effects thereto and thereof, and also looks at isolated communities and what happens when they run out of food uh, and the like. So uh, Ravenous uh, made, I think, in the early, in the late 90s, I want to say 99, 98, somewhere around there, a uh, very small little indie film, very curious soundtrack um, using a metal saw, uh, as as one of the instruments in that soundtrack, um, I wouldn't say that it's a particularly gory film in comparison to to modern day films, um, but um, yes, definitely definitely worth watching, uh, just for an entertaining horror film, really, um, or a, a, a gore film, I suppose, because it's not really horrific, not by modern day standards. Anyway, on that positive note of cannibalism, let's end up there and say thank you for listening and we'll catch up with you next week when we move away from the topic of collapse and we turn our attention to something a little more magical. Until then, happy gaming.